series entitled Little Things Matter. In verse 25, and I'm not going to read the entire section, but I'll read a certain portion. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? Was it, what is it you're reading of it? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for who you are and all that you've already done and what you shall do. We give thanks. Amen. 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 My half-brother's in the house. Brother George Hamilton, he's already, amen, been at the Christ Strong. Uh, I think he went bowling yesterday and hung out with the brothers and just was so excited uh, about the men's fellowship. And he uh, just recently relocated uh, from Philadelphia to Dover. Dover. And uh, I'm going to take him out to our new building today just to show him how closer we're going to be to where he's living. And uh, I am so uh, grateful that the Lord has reconnected us. Uh, I was so excited about him coming that I mistakenly thought that a brother that was with Deacon O'Neill was him. And uh, the guy looked at me like I had two heads. He said, I ain't your brother. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. My daddy wasn't no Rolling Stone. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for all, all that he is doing. Amen. Some of you, unlike myself, can appreciate what I'm about to say if you enjoy cooking. It doesn't matter how long you have labored preparing that special meal. If after you have finished and you do your taste test, and something is missing. A little of this or a little of that, and sometimes you don't know exactly what it is, but you know that something is missing. Amen. And so what you do, you, you proceed to try to add a little this or a little that until it gets just right. And even when someone says that it tastes great, you know something is missing. There's a missing ingredient. As our world becomes crueler and more callous and brain-drained through the oversaturation of information through social media where we have just learned to be pushed along by the tides of life and nothing really sticks, nothing matters in the way that it should. 
It is so easy to forget that there is a missing ingredient. And the only time that we realize that something is missing that has made us uncomfortable is when, it is de- when we are deprived of it. When you and I don't experience this missing ingredient. The missing ingredient that I'm talking about is kindness. None of us will comfortably tolerate folk being nasty and mean, unappreciative, disrespectful. I don't care how good the meal is. If the waiter acts like they don't want to serve us, food just don't taste as good. I don't care if you at the 10-star hotel and you speak to the person that you're getting ready to give your credit card to and they don't say yay or nay. They act like you ain't even there. And then you say thank you and they don't say thank you. That pillow won't feel right that night. You feel like they robbing you. You feel like they taking your money. They didn't even show common kindness. I don't care how good the preacher is or the praise and worship. You done shouted and fallen out on the altar. And the people at the church are just mean, unkind. Somebody asked, answered, why, why, why people that serve food at the church are the meanest? Why we recruit the meanest people? One green bean and two peas and half a french fry. <laughs> And, 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 and don't let the pastor have a pastor's age. They act like the mafia. And they're running behind them. You know, don't dare act like you're going to look at the pastor. Just mean. Thuggish. Now, 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 just tell the truth. Tell the truth. Why do you really go to Chick-fil-A? You know, we go to Popeye's for chicken. We go to Chick-fil-A for kindness. <laughs> we, we get out of our car and go inside of Chick-fil-A. We will even sit down. We will even sit down. <laughs> and, and, and take time just to have people bring our food to the table. And it seems like a real smile. Somebody say kindness. It matters. It's a missing ingredient in many marriages. We just stop being kind. We treat the people that we live with worse than anybody else. We are harsh. We are mean. And then we fall on our knees and pray. I want you to know that little things, little things like kindness, mean a lot to God. Ask your neighbor, whatever happened to kindness? Whatever happened to kindness, man? (laughs) Amen. She looked over her glasses. (laughs) That's a signal. (laughs) Be a little kinder. Now, our, our anchor passage is going to come from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. And it reads, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness, is kindness. Now, from the outset, what I want to do is just two things today. I want to give you a clarification of the difference between supernatural kindness and natural kindness. And then secondly, I'm going to give you an illustration from the parable in Luke 10 of what kindness looks like. Because kindness has gone missing. <laughs> we need to put out an all-points bulletin to find kindness. We're calling people who, who are kind, we call them heroes now. You're not a hero because you're kind. <laughs> it's just so rare that when somebody says, here, let, let, you can have my seat, or, or, or you can go in the elevator before me, it's like, oh, what, 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 are, you, what, what are you trying to shake me down? <laughs> the clarification is needed because there is a difference between biblical and natural kindness. Now, when the Bible talks about kindness, what it means is it, it has to do with treating others well with your words and works, treating others well with your words and work through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Treating others well with your works and words with no strings attached, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with no, with, to the glory of God. That's biblical kindness. Now, let me just share a few key aspects of that as we unpackage this. The first thing about biblical kindness is there's no strings attached. You don't expect anything in return. If I take the trash out, maybe she'll act right tonight. <laughs> it's been a while, but let me, let me take this trash out. Something about a man taking trash out. Oh. Maybe if I prepare lunch for him, he'll finally fix that broken whatever. No strings attached. If I say good morning, they will respond by saying good morning. Biblical kindness does not expect in-kind responses. They may not say good morning. I didn't say it to you for you to say it to me. I said it to you because the Holy Spirit directed me to say it. Second thing is this, the Holy Spirit in, is the power behind words and the works of kindness. See, the world can do good things. There are a lot of nice, nice hospitals built with somebody's name attached to it. Uh, uh, there, there, somebody can, at work will buy you lunch, and, and that's a nice thing to do. But Christians are the only ones who can do good works because the Bible says in our flesh, we can do nothing that is pleasing to God because all of our righteousnesses in the sight of God are as filthy rags. And the reason why only Christians can do good works, the Bible says if you do not have the spirit, you don't belong to God and you cannot do 
what the Holy Spirit empowers. So Christians do good works, empowered by the Holy Spirit with no strings attached. The world can do the good things, but ultimately they have no eternal value because they are not prompted by the direction of the Holy Spirit. The third part of this, in, in terms of how we want to look a little closer to the, the words and works of kindness aren't done just because we're nice. Some people see, see us at work, we're so nice and she's so nice. We don't do things just because we're nice. We are intentionally doing acts and works of doing works and sharing words of kindness because we want people to see our good works. We are letting our light so shine before men that they may what? See our good works and bring glory to our Father. So I'm not just nice. I am a surrendered believer who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not expecting anything in return that you may see through what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through me, my heavenly Father. And that will give me a reason to give an answer to every man who asks for reason of the hope that's in me. Kindness that comes from the Lord is different from that because it's prompted, it's prompted by the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me continue to unpack this just a little bit. Now, how does this, uh, when we come to Galatians chapter uh, uh, 5, when it says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, it helps us to further understand how natural and supernatural kindness or biblical kindness are different. First of all, the origin, the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness comes from the Holy Spirit. It originates. It emanates. It is birthed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is birthed through. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you can be kind. You can't say like one of my former church members, she said, I ain't naturally kind. She's, and, and, and it doesn't come easy for me. Now, it, that, I would understand that and accept that, but she was bragging about it. She said, I like for people to get nervous when I'm around them. I like to put a little a bass in my voice. She was telling me this, patting herself on the back. But the fruit of the Spirit, and the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says that love is kind. Love doesn't cuss you out. Love doesn't counsel you out online, on, 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 on live stream. Let me shut him or her down. Let me go viral at somebody's expense. And so the origin makes kindness in the lives of Christians different. The outcome makes, it, make, makes kindness from Christians different. A supernatural power is released when you are kind. We want to speak in tongues and roll around in saliva and, and gyrate. We want to do all that. Just be kind. You get up off the floor and then sweat your clothes out, and then you go cut somebody out. Bob, anyway. <laughs> The outcome, the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
Whatsoever you sow, that shall you reap. If you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you shall reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you shall reap life everlasting. There is an eternal benefit that is released every time you are kind with your words and your works. The power of God is released. And so the outcome is different. The origin is different, but the objective, again, the motivation for every Christian for our words and deeds that follow Christ is to let our light shine. Kindness, this is, this, listen to this. Kindness is the external picture of the spiritual condition of your heart. It is the external picture of the spiritual condition of your heart. Now, if you go to the doctor, you've been coughing, <laughs> coughing, and you just can't stop coughing, and they, they give you this, and they give you that, and they do the, the out, external examinations, and nothing indicates why you keep coughing. Guess what they're going to give you? Go get an x-ray. And so the x-ray is able to see what the doctor cannot see through a normal external physical exam. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And once the x-ray is taken, the doctor will come in the room and she will take that x-ray and she'll put it up on the screen and she'll say, see that? Oh, I didn't know that was there. Well, the x-ray revealed what was hidden from the natural eye. I want you to know that if you want to know where you are spiritually, if you are truly being led by the Spirit of God, you will be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness, because kindness is the external indication of where you are spiritually. The Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking at your heart. Are you kind? Would somebody give that as a testimony to who you are? Isn't it interesting that we raised our boys to be tough because kindness is viewed in men as weakness. And we we teach our girls, be kind, be sweet, don't raise your voice. And what we have now is that kindness ain't cool for men or women. Women cussing, cussing men out and men cussing dogs out. We, we don't we don't move from from. It, it, it's so bad. It's so evil. Kindness has been evicted from the building. It has been evicted from the building. So the objective is that we want to glorify God. Kindness costs nothing. But it has great benefits. Somebody say Amen. Now, who's our example? I'm I'm glad you asked. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, uh, this is Elder Ward's, one of his favorite passages, verses 3 through 4, 5. The verse is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking at your own interests, but each other's interests, the interests of others. In relation with another, have the same mind. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our example. Not the person who's been mean to you. Not the person who's not responding to you the way you think they should. I'll show him. I'll show her. I I won't smile. I don't care how funny it is. 
I don't care. I don't care what they do. They can, they can stand on their head. I ain't going to let them know. That lady actually say to me, she said, when I'm in church, I put my hand over the pew and my opposite hand on top of my wrist so I won't lift it. I don't want you to think that this sermon is affecting me. Now, that's a scary person. I want you to understand that unkind people are scary. That was just being unkind. That was somebody that was trying to basically intimidate me from the pulpit. When God had to teach me, I said, I love you. I love the church. You can say you love people, but when they say uh, you give them a gift and you go to their, their functions and you celebrate and none of their families there, but you're there as their pastor, and you give them the gift, and she says, tell your wife I said thank you. My wife didn't give the gift. <laughs> My name is all over the gift. <laughs> Kindness, when it is withheld, can be a weapon. And you can destroy someone just by refusing to acknowledge them. Have you been around people who just look through you and act like you're not there? That's a weapon that the Bible says, and then we talked about the power of life is in the tongue. Well, there are different types of communication. There is verbal and nonverbal. And so when you withhold kindness, you don't have to say a word to cause somebody's spirit to be wounded. By withholding words of kindness, you are being used by the instrument as, an, as, as a weapon. To prevent the kingdom of God from going forward. You are an instrument of Satan when you're being mean. Love is kind. When you are being unkind, you're being unlike Christ. When you're withholding love, you are hating those who God died, sent Jesus to die for. And you are not loving God. Jesus is our example who did not consider becoming equal with God a thing that he needed to obtain. But the Bible says he humbled himself. Jesus was a celebrity who acted like a servant. <laughs> amen, amen. And I, I, was, I was so impressed. I went to Tony Evans' church when we were in Dallas. And he makes sure every visitor, he greets every one of them. Every visitor. Now, we, when we get our new church, we won't be able to do that too. But you can't do that just now. But the thing that I was impressed with, he didn't have no, this dude is a multi-millionaire. His internet, not a regular car, but it, yeah, that's a, a, you know, but he was just a celebrity who, was a, who has a servant's heart. That's what Jesus was. There are no superstars. There's no big U's and little I's. We're all servants. We're serving in different capacities. But I got my towel and wash bowl out. Somebody say amen. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. And I want to be said of me beyond any characteristic or recognition, commendation, is that Pastor Benson was a humble man, that he had a servant spirit. That's what I want to be known for, that he would do whatever he could to bring glory and honor to the Lord without credit. Somebody say amen. Now, why does God have to command Christians to be kind? Listen at uh, Philippians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, and be kind, it's a command, to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's a command. Why would he need to command Christians, saints of God? <laughs> the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. We are not naturally, we got to teach children to be kind. You don't have to teach them to be selfish, to be rebellious and, 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 and hard-headed. The spirit is willing. So we have the flesh. You and I still have the Adamic nature. I don't care how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how long you have been saved. We are still, Paul says, he said, within me there's an enemy. And I know to do right, but there's another voice that said do wrong. And he says that all men is constantly at war with the new man. But the only way that I'm successful, he said, thanks be to God for the power of the Christ who has delivered me from the bond. I don't have to live in bondage, but I'm constantly in battle with this flesh. The flesh wants to be served. It doesn't want to serve. The flesh wants to be on top. It doesn't want to be on bottom. The flesh wants to be blessed and highly favored, even if it means I got to step on you to get it. We struggle. We struggle with the flesh. The other reason the Lord had to command us is that supernatural power is activated whenever you obey. That's why it's so hard. You, you talk about walking in authority and walking in power and being able to speak things into existence and hearing the discerning voice of God in whatever situation you're in. And to get the prayer answered, we say, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to you liberally and does not withhold. How do you get that kind of connection with God? How do you get in sync with God? I know you got the equipment, you got the Holy Spirit living in you, but you ain't heard nothing from God since you've been saved because you don't understand that to experience the direction of God, you have to be obedient to the word of God. Supernatural power. This is where we get messed up as parents. We send our children to school and think education it's going to make them better people. It just makes them more selfish, makes them more arrogant. The word of God works. In Deuteronomy, it says, when it gives to Shema, hear, O Israel, today, we need to understand the Lord our God, our God is one God. And he said, when you're walking in the way, tell them about the word. When you sit down, tell them about the word. When you get ready to go to sleep, tell them about the word. When you get ready to put the blankets open, tell them about the word. When you get ready to feed them the food that I provided for, we need to keep using the word. It doesn't matter how much they seem to resist it because the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharp. And, to, and it cuts between the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The word works. Problem is not the word. The problem has been we don't obey it. Are you using the word as you are battling Satan? The Bible says one of the weapons of our warfare is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Satan's intentions are blocked when we obey the command of God by being kind. 
the Bible says, here's how we block the plans of Satan. Listen to the scripture. This, this just blew me away in Romans chapter 12, verses 22. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, let him starve. Isn't that in your version of the Bible? <laughs> Feed him. If he's thirsty, tell him to get lost. But I said, give him drink. Do not overcome evil by becoming evil, but do good. Satan's plans to keep people from seeing God when they do you wrong are blocked when you are kind, when you give your enemy water when they're thirsty, when you feed them when they're hungry, when you don't render evil for evil because you know vengeance is the Lord and he will repay. Somebody say amen. But this is the one that made me shout. Salvation was given to us because of the kindness of God. If he hadn't been kind, we wouldn't be saved. So he commands us to be like him. Oh, listen to Titus 3, verse 4. It says, but when the kindness, of the, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. When the kindness and the love of God appeared, he saved us. We know in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing and the renewing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He has saved us. Why? Because of his kindness. His kindness. I'm kind because he's been kind to me. His mercies are new every day. If it wasn't for his kindness, I would be consumed. If it wasn't for his kindness and my foolishness, I would be dead today. Thank you, God, for kindness. Somebody ought to thank him for his kindness. Thank him for his kindness. Thank him for how he spared you. Thank him for being kind enough to allow you to grow up old. I used to pray, Lord, let my sons grow old enough to get out of their foolishness. And he blessed me. He was kind. Thank you for kindness. Now, let me, let me, so we have a clarification of what biblical kindness is. We see why we need to be kind. Who is our example? And now I want to see, show you an illustration as we close in Luke chapter 10, let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 10. I'm not going to read them all, all the verses. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Even if you're not saved, you know what that parable is about. I'm going to read, I, I, we've already read the first portion when the scripture says that a lawyer came to Jesus to test him. And he asked the question, he said, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And then Christ says, well, what does the law say, and how do you interpret it? And apparently he had heard Jesus answer this question before because this was the answer that Jesus gave. Man shall, uh, uh, thou, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, with all your strength, and love your neighbor. Then saying plural, but love your neighbor. We made it plural, then we can, yeah, no, no. Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Now, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Amen. So Jesus says, you get an A. You've answered correctly. Now do what you have answered and you will live. You shall live. 
Now, we know that you can't earn eternal life through works, but what Jesus was exposing was this man's heart. Because works without, faith without works is what? So the proof that we are saved is that there will be fruit, there will be evidence. So I said, all right, we want to see if you have this life. Go and do what you just shared. And then the Bible says, the man wanting to justify himself, he raised the question that the Pharisees had, had developed that no one had an answer to. Who was our neighbor? Who was <laughs> our neighbor? So what we're going to discover, I'm going to share with you what kindness doesn't look like, and then I'm going to conclude with what kindness looks like. Okay, you still with me? Yeah. All right, so first thing is kindness doesn't have an ulterior motive. It doesn't have something up its sleeve. The man came to Jesus with a question to test him. He really wasn't looking for an answer. He wasn't really trying to change. He wasn't really being nice because it's right to be nice. The motivation was wrong. So biblical kindness doesn't have an ulterior motive. It's not a smiling face that tells a lie. It's not someone who's trying to get a green card. I love you, baby. Just get me to America. Just get me here. Fly me. Train me. Uh, submarine me. I can't, sleep. I can't live another day without you. You are the air I breathe. And quoting right from the song. <laughs> and you, I find my being. And my, I'm quoting all that. You say, oh, she really loves me. Oh, my Facebook husband, my Facebook wife. <laughs> and they get over here, they're 90 years old. They got, you know, they're barely able to, yeah, they get over here. Their, their motive, they were kind to you. They talked to you. They wouldn't get off the phone with you. And then you married them. They had an ulterior motive. This man came testing Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, when you are being kind, why are you doing that? Man, they're going to think really highly of me. Nobody else thought to do that. And then nobody even noticed that you did it. And you're like, I ain't doing that again. They must think I'm their maid. Hey, I'm going to be cleaning off this table again. Well, you getting ready to sit down and eat. And if you're going to put your stuff on top of all those germs, you might as well clean it all. Why did you say thank you? Why did you text that person and you just got inspired? You just went, you got 10 pages of texting. And then they didn't even respond for five days. And now you quit in church. They didn't even respond. I bet you if it was sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, they would have responded right away. <laughs> Kindness does not have an ulterior motive. Amen. Kindness isn't knowing all of the, the right biblical answers. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. He's like, <laughs> I sure did. My seminary training. <laughs> I got like an A in a, uh, in a theology class and bibliology. Yeah, he said, you answered correctly. Here's our problem. We think spirituality is knowing all the right answers. We think spirituality is knowing everybody's business. You ain't helping nobody. You ain't going to pray. You know they're sick, but you ain't visiting. You know they're struggling. They don't have any money to pay their bills. And the Lord just gave you a windfall. You just got your income tax. Hello. Amen. More than you expected. 
and the, and the Lord has shown you that somebody in your church family or in your, in your immediate family has a need. And they tell you, and they're not even asking. You know they wouldn't ask you if they didn't need it. And, and, and even though they do, they're not asking you. And you say, let me pray over you. Why are you going to pray for me when you got money to help me? <laughs> it's not spiritual to know the right answers, but do nothing with the answers that you know. James said, pure religion is knowing a need, seeing the need, and meeting the need. If you're not meeting a need, knowledge means nothing. It's, just, it's 18 inches from the wrong spot. It ain't in your heart. It's not in your heart. Kindness is not knowing all the right answers. He knew the answers. That's why Jesus said, go and do it. Yeah. Kindness does not make excuses. For failing to meet the need. You see the need and you think a million, well, he's turning on the floor. I don't know why he's on the ground. Man, look at the angle he's on. Look at the kind of clothes. He's really not from this area because if he was from this area, he wouldn't be wearing expensive clothes. And if he's wearing expensive clothes, he must be on drugs. Like the other day, I saw a lady and she had a protruding abdomen. I said, man, she's dying from uh, this is cirrhosis of liver. I didn't know have no cirrhosis of liver. I prejudged that woman. I made every excuse in my brain before I even found out. So we make, kindness doesn't make excuses to excuse itself from being kind. We're trying to figure out why we shouldn't do good, why we can help people. The first thing we ought to be, how can we do this? How can, if God showed you the need, and it's a legitimate need, this guy said, who's my neighbor? Come on now, give me a reason to do something. Give me a reason to close my Bible. Give me a reason to, to do something with all this theological training. Give me a reason to go out from this church today and really show my family something different. Let me show, show me why. Jesus said, go and do this. Here's a fourth thing kindness is not. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. It said, he says, who is my neighbor? And as if, if it's somebody I identify as my neighbor, then maybe I will help them. But if they're not my neighbor, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them who despitefully use you. So even if your enemy needs you to bless them, it doesn't matter who that person is because your neighbor is anybody who has a need. Oh, you're getting kind of quiet on me. Can we just finish a little bit? So you, you, we can be nice to people that are nice to us. But if you ain't nice to us, well, why should I bless you? Come on now. I ain't the only one think like that. I, you know, I, well, here's, let me just, just speak out of my heart. If I think too hard about blessing people, I'm not going to do it. Because my flesh is going to figure out a bill I need to pay. My flesh is going to say they're they not going to appreciate it. But when the Holy Spirit tells me to do something, it's usually what I would, not, I would normally do. And so I try to obey quickly. Now, let me run on. Let me run on. We almost finished. Now, what does, what does kindness look like? What does it look like in Acts in verses 30 through 36? The story of the Good Samaritan, a man leaving, leaving, uh, leaving uh, uh, Jericho. He, he gets overtaken leaving Jericho. And he's so, the man is beaten beyond recognition. He's bleeding. They stripped him of all his clothes. He's basically naked. He's on the side of the road, and they beat him to the point of near death. It looks like the man is dead. And so 
it would really be a bad situation if it was in an, on an isolated road where no one could possibly see this man's predicament. But the scripture says the pastor, the priest, drives by in his Rolls Royce or whatever. He walks by, all right? And the scripture says that the priest sees the man lying in the ditch and crosses over to the other side. That's just a bad preacher, right? But then the Levites, the deacons show up. You know the deacons, they, they can train to serve. That's what deacons, hands in the dirt, meet the need. The deacon sees the brother lying in the dirt, and he does a drive-by, rolls up his windows. I said, I'm going to pray for that brother. They were too holy to help. They just left church. We're trying to get home to our dinner. We're trying to get home to the football game, to the basketball game, to the NCAA double, the, to, the, the, to the final. We ain't going to miss that. Somebody want, they just want to talk about what's going on in their family again. They, they went and crossed to the other side. That's not you, is it? Let me show you what kindness is. Kindness recognizes the needs of others. The deacon and the pastor saw the need. Kindness will see the need. And then the scripture says, not only did the, 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 they, they see the need, they recognized that there was something that needed to be done. So kindness will see the need. If you get past your own nose and stop being selfish, you would recognize that there are people every, God will bring people into your path that have needs that you, if you would just move the blinders, you would see the need. You would see the need. Now, here's the second thing. Let me, let me run on. Kindness refuses to ignore the need. Now, here's where the Good Samaritan comes in. He saw the need, too. And here's the ironicness, the irony of it. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they were half-breeds. They were half-Assyrian, and they were half-Jews. Remember the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well? The, 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 when, the, when the disciples saw Jesus with the woman, said, what in the world is he doing with that woman? Doesn't he know she's Samaritan? Jews would, would go miles out of their way just to avoid walking through Samaria. But the Bible says a good Samaritan. He saw the need, and he had compassion, and he did something about it. That's what kindness is. Kindness sees the need. It fills the need to do something, and it does something to the capacity that you can. You can't help everybody. I had to learn that. You cannot help everybody, but God will show you. You get the, you'll feel compassion for that situation in, in your individual walk, and you will, God will give you the capacity. So kindness does not ignore the need. Kindness takes risk. He put the man on his own horse. He let somebody get in his car. He invited someone in his home. and Kindness take risk. Now, it doesn't mean that you're unwise. But often when we help people from the church, we don't, we're not expecting anything back. And sometimes people have ulterior motives. When they come during Christmas and Thanksgiving, the church gets all kinds of calls. And sometimes we start here in our home. But sometimes people just, they, they have ulterior motives. But we take the risk of being obedient to the Lord. Yeah. 
Kindness takes where He let him sit on his own horse, and then kindness is generous. It's not stingy. He went into his own pocket. We try to give people the least that we can give, and only to understand. I remember times when my stuff was turned off. My electricity was turned off, and going down to the electric company, and the gas was turned off. It wasn't always good with me. I know what it's like to have a car repossessing, and you go out there, and your stuff is gone, and number glass on the ground. Oh, yeah, I know what that's like. And I also know what it's like to stand in the welfare line and people who, who, who simply are faces behind the mirror or behind the glass who act like the money's theirs <laughs> and treat you like you're dirt. I know what that's like. So when somebody has a need, I ain't trying to figure out how little I can give them. I'm trying to be like Jesus. He doesn't give us the least. He gives us the most. Somebody said, I come to give you life. And Jesus said, I didn't come to give you, I didn't come to be stingy, but I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Aren't we glad about that? Kindness blesses as long as it takes. He took the man, he bandaged him up, he took him to an end, went into his pocket, and he says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. As long as it takes for this brother to get on his feet, I'm in this. Kindness sticks to it until the need is met. And we need to be very careful. God keeps, God takes vows seriously. If you say you're going to do something for somebody and they forget that you said it, you're still obligated to do what you said because you told the Lord you were going to do it. And that's a whole other sermon. Let me finish with this. Kindness does not escape. 